In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Bob Brunetz, General Manager of Amphenol Borish Technologies in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Bob has been with Borish since 2006 and has worked his way up from an intern during his college days to becoming general manager four years ago. We talk about the business of Borish, their capabilities, and the value they bring to their customers that's rooted in their core values. We talk about the transition from a small family-owned company to a division of a multi-billion dollar corporation once Amphenol acquired Borish years ago. We talk about finding what he loved to do during his college years through some trial and error and some great advice from his future wife. And we talk about his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. All right, so Bob, thank you very much for joining us. I know I've been chasing you down for a while and you finally relented. You finally gave in. You finally decided, okay, I'm ready to talk to Chris in the podcast. So for people who don't know about Amphenol Borish Technologies, uh, we've had a couple people on before who worked at Amphenol Borish but uh, weren't current employees. Tell us a little bit about what Amphenol Borish Technologies is all about, what you do. So Chris, we, we support the, those who serve, you know, whether it be a pilot of a commercial airliner, a member of the Coast Guard you know, who's hanging from a wench of a helicopter or the driver of a tank relying on proper power distribution. We manufacture value add assemblies, whether it be circuit cards or cables or electronic boxes for those applications for the military and aerospace industry. It's different from a lot of the other Amphenol divisions, not only within the, the Milero group, but really across the corporation, where you you are basically saying to customers, what do you got will help you build it system-wise, right? Whether it's a cable, whether it's a circuit card assembly, whatever it may be. I mean, that's what you guys do well. We kind of position ourselves as an extension of the customer's factory. We say, if you, if you decide to give us a purchase order to build this, come in our factory. This, uh, you know, the line building your product is, is your factory. So what, what we're selling them is our, our manufacturing capabilities, our quality management system, and, and most of all, really our, our people, right? And that we hoped to really provide them everything they need to properly launch a product. So when we talk about making improvements um, to our company, it's really not driven by design requirements of what the industry is going towards. It's, it's really of quality and manufacturing capability requirements that our customers need. So we'll invest heavily into ancillary capabilities for cables and overmolding, mm -hmm. but we're also investing a lot into our system so we can keep up with all the different industry and quality requirements that our customers have. I usually ask people and say, hey, tell me about your product portfolio. You don't necessarily have that, but I would say you'd have a capabilities portfolio. So exactly. just what's a quick rundown of the highlights of your capabilities portfolio? There's a couple different value streams that we have. Uh, first of all is machining. So we have a machine shop up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We do, we hog a lot of assemblies out of aluminum billet and they're used in you know ground vehicles, missiles, airplanes. We build a lot of circuit cards that we, uh, we get our bare circuit boards from our sister divisions like Invotech and Amphenol printed circuits. And we work to populate and test them and make sure that they are to the best standards for our customers. We do cable and wire harness assembly out in Mesa and down in Nogales, Mexico. Do everything from basic point to point to very complex, multi-branch, braided, over-molded, and potted cables. Those are two very different capabilities 
Mm-hmm. What's the challenge in making sure that your, you know, you and your operations team and your manufacturing team is staying on top of their game when it comes to those two major capabilities you have? Yeah, one of the things that we've done that has really helped is really modeled our business after the way Anthenol is modeled. So hmm. each one of our operational sites specializes in different types of manufacturing, yeah. and every one of the sites has their own engineering team and quality team. And what we try and do is empower them to tell us what they need to be competitive, what the customer is telling them they need to do, and how they upgrade their factory to make sure that they not only stay relevant, but stay ahead of the curve. And you have Grand Rapids, as you mentioned, Mesa, Arizona, Nogales, Mexico, and I believe uh, London, Ontario? Yeah, London, Ontario, man. We got a group of people up there that just figure out how to get it done. They're amazing. So what's the challenge for you as a general manager for all these locations to make sure that you're staying on top of your game and making sure those facilities are running as smoothly as possible? Because it's a big challenge. You have a lot you have to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, I can tell you right off the bat that I hope to be really good at it someday. <laughs> okay. it's, uh, it, it's a challenge. And yeah. um, one of the best things about ABT is we have very unique, passionate people who if we aren't doing a good job supporting them or they don't know what's going on, they let me know. And yeah. there's quite a few things that we can, we can always do better. Um, so what we've been working on over the past few years is transitioning it from more of a, a company that was kind of top down to figuring out how to provide um, site financials and objectives and goal setting processes to all the individual sites and figure out how to minimize any kind of oversight to that with, you know, still keeping control, making sure that we support them accordingly, keep on budget. Um, but that has added more required communication than I had ever thought before. Mm-hmm. You know, when you just run a factory up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you know, you just get out there and you lead by example and, and everybody can kind of see what's going on. They hear what's happening. And then, then you go visit a, fa- a factory out in Mesa and you go, wait a minute, what? Why, why don't you guys do this? Why don't you do that? Yeah. And they, they have no idea because mm-hmm. we didn't really do a great job communicating. So I think the, the biggest challenge to me, which I, I think we've done a good job so far and we could obviously do better, is just learning how to set out what we want to do, communicate to all the team members, and then figure out how to best support them. It's been fun. Obviously, this last year has been very difficult for all businesses around the world to manage the COVID pandemic. And understand that it has certainly been difficult for everyone. For yourself, though, and the business, Borish, has there been any positives out of how you've had to deal with this over the last year? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has been a tough year for everybody. And uh, we, we definitely felt it across all of our facilities. All of our team members and their families got affected by it somehow. And it was very tough. We, you know, we, we lost some of our own loved ones. They lost their fight with COVID. So it, it's definitely a daily reminder for us to stay vigilant and keep our safety protocols in place and do everything we can to make our facility the safest place for our team members that, that we can. Uh, however, we, we did have some real positives. I'm, I'm very, uh, very lucky personally to have the, you know, the three legs of my tripod with my, my controller, Ben, and my director of HR, Lindsay, that really helped organize, communicate, and deploy the protocols that, you know, sometimes, as you know, changed by the hour um, of how we kind of kept people safe. And in addition, I think we were all grateful to see something, you know, out of Anthenol Frontline that ran by a very elite 
elite team, yeah. uh, yourself included there, yes. sir, step into a void that we all we all had and provided information that we used to protect our, our team members. So, and, and lastly, I think that um, it, you know, COVID actually really disrupted my normal cycle of planning and, and goal setting. But I was so encouraged to see how our empowered team members at each facility really stepped up to deliver one of the best years we had of cleaning up um, our backlog, supporting our customers through uh, very tough times and, and even improving our pro- productivity. They did, they did a wonderful job. So let's go back to young Bobby Brunettes growing up in Michigan. What was a, what was a young redheaded lad like yourself, like growing up? I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I was, you know, in, in high school, I was, uh, I think I was pretty, pretty geeky. Um, I loved, you know, playing soccer. I loved hanging out with the friends, video games. I didn't have these grand aspirations at that age. Yeah. Graduate from Western Michigan University with an engineering degree. So just uh, tell us a little bit about how you got there and uh, and what that was like finding that career path or that field of study. Yeah, I, I did graduate from Western with my uh, degree in mechanical engineering, but I can tell you, I didn't set out to do that. It was it was after a tour of colleges and majors across Michigan that I actually settled in at Western. Was it just a matter of you just didn't know what you wanted to do yet? You just kind of winging it. I, I speaking from experience, I felt the same way for quite some time. I was not like many people that we work with, and that you and I both know very well. That man, they were on the path. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. They were in and out in four years or less and moved on and, and started working. Um, I think that's where you and I share some, some commonality in it. We're like, I don't, I don't know what's, I'll figure something out. <laughs> Didn't do great in school. And then you kind of figure it out as you go. Right. I definitely in that bucket, I, I would say that it wasn't that I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I would say what I wanted to do changed quite frequently. Mm-hmm. So I got real excited about this, man, that looks really shiny. Uh, I'll get really excited about that, you know? And, but I think the, the big change for me was, uh, you know, in college, I was at Michigan state, I was working at Best Buy, great group of friends. And every time people would ask me about how a TV works, whatever, I, I felt like I couldn't explain it to them. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to learn how that actually worked. Yeah. And you know, a lot of other my family members are engineers, and, and I was like, you know what, maybe I should go into engineering. And so I figured I'd give it a shot, went to Western, and that really took off, and I loved it. So what made the engineering program at Western Michigan finally click in for you? Well, I, I can tell you that once I started getting in the classes, I loved that I was talking about geeky stuff. I, I love that I was learning about stuff that I always wondered about. I love that I would be able to apply it to being a complete dork in the future. I mean, (laughs) I always love that stuff. So it was great to learn about it, but I I will say definitely what made it stick is after one of the semesters, I I went to uh, my future wife's house and I showed her my um, bad report card, but I, I let her know that instead of you know, parting my sorrows away, yeah. I would uh, take a different approach and, and work harder because I wanted to be better for her. And she uh, she thought about it for a while and she said, well, you know, I, I really don't want to be with you unless you want to be better for yourself. And she, wow. she closed the door on me. And uh, so that's my, that's my wife of many, many years that I absolutely love. And I feel like 
I was able to combine both the, uh, the passion of something that I was having fun doing. Yeah. And then found somebody who really challenged me to be a better person there too. So that's fantastic. It's a great story. And I'm glad to see that you're still showing her your report card from time to time. She tells you. (laughs) (laughs) She, uh, she holds me accountable. That's that's for sure. (laughs) That's good. That's good. So you graduate from Western Michigan and then you, I believe you start shortly thereafter at what at the time was Borscht Manufacturing. How did that come about? Well, I have a couple things to be thankful for there. One was I actually got my internship up at Borish. Um, I got hired by a gentleman named Paul Berkmeyer, which was a, he was a great mentor. And uh, he hired me because the intern right before me didn't make it because they found out he, uh, he didn't have his green card. It was okay. the first intern of all time. He wasn't qualified open the door for me and I got in and I, and I won't leave. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. that's a good thing. Now I did actually get the internship while I was still going to school. So the way it worked is that I would get up pretty early. I drive up from Kalamazoo to Grand Rapids, about a 45 minute drive, work for a few hours, drive back down to Kalamazoo. Usually had a monster to keep me awake on the way. Yeah. I'd go to classes and then I drive back up to Borish to work from like three to 9 PM. Wow. And then drive back down. And at the time it was, I was their first intern. So my manager was like, Hey, I, I don't know what's going on, but you got to work 40 hours a week. <laughs> and so I learned how to do that, but I was able to do that. Um, the last two semesters of school, which was fun and tiring, but, um, you know, very much worth it. And at the time it was not an Amphenol company yet. Correct. This was before the acquisition. Right. Borish Manufacturing. Um, John Borish was the owner. He started it. And so I joined in 2006 and I was there when we purchased it in 2010. And what was that like for you? I've talked to many people who, and I guess that's kind of par for the course now with Amphenol with so many acquisitions that they've made. But I always like to ask what it was like at the time you're working for a private company for family owned business and suddenly you're part of a multi-billion dollar corporation. I mean, you're a young guy with your first real major job out of college, but what was that like for you and maybe for some of the other people that were working at Borish at the time? The transition was very interesting. It definitely had us reassess who we were. Yeah. And it was a transition to go from a, uh, a very well-led family company that was more of a leader with a lot of followers. Mm-hmm to Amphenol that is a very entrepreneurial and accountable organization. Right. That was a tough transition. I think that there's a lot of aspects of being owned by a public company. That was great. You know, we had some more stability. Um, we immediately opened up our portfolio of customers and we were getting introduced to new customers that we never worked with before, which is great for diversification for us. So we weren't going up and down with layoffs. And so great benefits immediately, but the culture was different. And I would say that we went through a couple, a couple tough years. I mean, if you look at some of the executives that made it from, you know, then to now, I think there's only two that really made it as our Ben Kowalski, our controller and Steve Miller, our director of engineering, both are absolute rocks and, great fortitude, but helped change that culture. Um, but it really didn't start changing in my opinion till 
Bill Callahan, who I think you've, you've interviewed here before. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he came in as our GM from the outside. And then we also had an, an Amphenol transplant of Mark Wetzig, and he came over. Uh, they're both GMs now. Actually, Bill's obviously, congratulations, and GM of his entire group now, which is pretty pretty incredible. But yeah. what Bill kind of brought to our, uh, our team was a different level of expectations for directors. Instead of kind of hanging on the whims of the, a leader and figuring out how to follow um, and make sure a plan was put into action, he would challenge us. He'd say, well, you know, you're a director of a military aerospace company. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And we'd, have, we'd be forced to put our plans together, present it to him, and he holds accountable to do that. And that change, although sounding simple, took a while. I'll bet. And it, it did. And it was it's the best thing for the company. And now we work on continuing that all the way down. And that's why we have a more empowered organization, I think, today than we ever have. And, uh, you know, he left uh, four years ago and uh, Mark left too to go run his own uh, own company there. But now we're left with a a team of uh, executives and directors that know the best way we can make our company better is by understanding that it's it's ours. Our own department is ours. And then really by supporting the team members in our department instead of telling them what to do is we're a much better company. And that was a, that was a multi-year transition that was interesting to watch and be a part of. One of the things that I know happened during that transition that you're talking about, and I believe it was Bill that started it, was the boorish core values and how much that meant, I think, to everything you're just describing is really the, the summation of that transition, that change in how the business is actually run are those core values. Would you agree with that? I mean, I know that you still adhere to them and abide by them as well. I mean, is that something you still hold very dear to your heart at Borish? Yeah, very dear. And uh, actually, Bill Callahan and uh, Shelly, um, our HR manager at the time, mm-hmm. they put an offsite together. And instead of getting everybody together and saying, hey, we're going to have these core values and, um, you know, we're going to put them up on the wall, like integrity, trust, and ones that you see a lot that aren't bad. Yeah. They, uh, they approach it from a different angle. And I thought they did an absolute wonderful job. They, they said, okay, let's pick out the people because it was, you know, it was a family culture, right? Right. They picked out these people. They said, who in this company would you go around and would you clone like a video game? Hmm. Who could you wish you had more of? And then what we did is we said, okay, I want to clone that person and that person and that person. And they said, okay, well, what traits do they have? And if you had a hundred points to put all over all of these different traits, how would you put them in what arenas and, and what traits would you select? Yeah. I became away with uh, traits like geekiness and entrepreneurial spirit yeah. and passion. And we tried to define the people who really have helped define who Amphenol Boris Technologies is. So not only do we use those on an everyday basis, but they are built into our, our interview questions. They're built into our human resource reviews for every one of our team members every year. It starts with our core values. And we, we make sure that we use our core values to find the type of team members who are going to make us better. Uh, but we also make sure we don't use it as a way to only get all the same people. Right. And uh, I think that's really important to know, like, for example, passion. Yeah. Right. Uh, passion to, to some people might be 
jumping up on a desk and yelling, Hey, we got to go do this. But, you know, for somebody that's extremely passionate, our organization, like, uh, like Mike Jaskowski, he's our accounting manager. He's never going to yell at anybody, but he is never going to let something happen on his watch because he knows that he is so passionate about making sure our organization runs the right way. Yeah. And his passion comes through on a coffee mug. that says like, I love spreadsheets. (laughs) So everyone's, core values, they may show them differently, but you know, at, in their heart, what do they really hold and how do they act? You've had multiple roles. You've really, in a classic sense, worked your way up the company ladder to become the, the person who oversees these operations. Is that, is that more, I know it, sound, it might sound weird, but is that even more satisfying that you were able to do it that way? from literally the minor leagues in essence, and you make it to the majors um, and become an all-star uh, versus, you know, getting traded and then becoming a, a GM somewhere else. I mean, how satisfying is it for you to have grown up in that company and then oversee it? I mean, I imagine that has to be a tremendous source of pride for you. It is a tremendous source of pride. And I've loved every day and every, I mean, there's been so many days that have been tough for sure, but we have great people, and I love that I'm able to look around and see so many people who help me on my journey, and uh, help support me. And I, you know, now it's my job to figure out how to support them. I actually went to an engineer who still works here today, and, and as an intern, I said, "Hey, uh, it's Dan Hooksma. He's incredible." And I, I said, "Hey, Dan, how you know how do I? I'm reading this print. How do I apply this to the wire?" He's like, "What are you trying to apply?" And I said, "Solder." <laughs> I, I read it right here, solder. <laughs> He just stared at me. He's like, it's, uh, he's like solder. Yeah. Lots of luck, buddy. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I had to go back to him and ask like a thousand questions. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And the entire company is filled with tons of people who gave me time and effort and support to teach me. So I, I was able to take on additional responsibilities and, I, and I'm so thankful for that. I know having been at your especially your Grand Rapids facility, a number of times over the years. I've been fortunate enough to to see the operations. I can honestly say that the people who work there are some of the most giving and helpful employees of Amphenol that I've ever worked with, whether it was a video that we were doing or going around and taking photographs or, or, or whatever it may do, or just talking to them about things. I mean, they would stop in the middle of they're busy, they're working, and they're like, oh, you want to see how this works? Here, let me show you, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling you, you don't always get that at at a lot of places. You looked at more of an annoyance, and I understand that aspect of it too. But the people, especially Grand Rapids at the Borish facility, have always been some of the nicest people I've ever met at Amphenol, and I just thought I wanted to share that with you as well. So for what Thanks, it's Chris. Yeah, I, I, have to, I have to agree. They're extremely passionate about what they do, they are always accommodating, whether it be for me or a customer, and uh, they, they've got huge hearts. Uh, yeah. Also, a great side about it is that their passion is if they have somebody on the team who isn't helping us, they make sure they, they know. <laughs> and, uh, That's great. You know, it may be if it's uh, the fact that I've worked there for 15 years and you know people have seen me in different positions, but I can walk down the hallway and I can be like, Hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Hey, what you up to? And that person just kind of walks by me. I'm like, okay, shoot. What, what's going on? Yeah. And I'm like, I go back and ask them. They're like, you know what? You're not really doing a good job at this. And I'm like, okay. Yep. Yeah. Oh, 
dang it, you know, yeah. like, but so they care about everything yeah. and they speak up when it's not going well. And I don't think you could ask for anything better. I love it. I love it. That's great. We'll set work aside here for a second. Now, you're not at the Grand Rapids facility or one of the 17 other facilities that you run around the world. What do you and the family like to do in your free time? We like to be outside. Yeah. Um, whether it be uh, running on trails and in the woods. Uh, my wife, she's a runner, so she's gotten us all into that. That's been fantastic. We've got a, got a one-year-old COVID dog, so we get him outside as much as we can. And my boys, who are five and five and nine, they they're huge dorks too. So we play with Legos and, and video games and fun family stuff. Fun family stuff. That's the best way. That's awesome. Final thing, Bob. I stick you on a desert island. Okay, I know it's going to be totally off the the rest of the conversation here, but I stick you on a desert island and say, uh, by yourself, by the way, and you are allowed to bring one album, one book, and one movie with you. We'll start with the album. Which album would you bring? Go. All right, this is tough, because it's not necessarily your favorite album, but the one you'd be on the desert island I, with. I like what you're thinking, yes. I'm going to have to go with the, uh, the album of the Rudy soundtrack <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> What's on that that's so good? Well, it's Jerry Goldsmith, yeah. right? And um, it's just instrumental. Yeah. But uh, the reason why I love it is that actually at work, we used to play it all the time when we were in one Let me rephrase that. I made everyone listen to it over <laughs> and over and over again when we were in an office yeah. together. And uh, I, I played it for months on end, and uh, I, I still play it now. I love it. That's awesome. All right, how about a book? Let's see. I would bring with me – and and. This is actually a book I read recently and would love to read it a few more times because I think I get some more stuff out of it is um, by Jack London. It's Martin Eden. I don't know if you've ever no. read that one before, no. but it's actually the, the closest thing to an autobiography from him. Obviously, it's a, it's a fictional story, but great story about a guy who works real hard and a couple different themes in the book. But I'd love it. I'd probably love to read it a few more times. And finally, movie. Miracle. By Disney. Watch it over and over again, man. That's a great movie. Watch it with my family. I actually think we were watching it right before we headed to the hospital when my uh, second son was born. But uh, uh, my wife and I, we, we, we love the movie. We love how the, uh, the coach puts together a great team and figures out how to make them work uh, best together. And I, that's what I love most about my job as well. So well, there's nothing I could say to top that then. So <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. I finally hunted you down and made you do it because I knew you'd be a great <laughs> guest, guest and you didn't disappoint. So thank you very much, my friend, and hopefully talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care.